welcome to the Hell Project podcast. This is where I share all of the results of the research and reading that I've done on the doctrine of hell over the last few years. Uh, I defend the view that uh, without Jesus, we are all dead. Uh, This is the view called conditionalism, and I believe there's better news in it than the traditional understanding of hell. And I try to defend that here. The audio quality may not be that high as it's taken off my YouTube channel and unfortunately some of the streams do have technical glitches but I hope that you stick with it and uh, do let me know what you think, share, uh, get involved through Twitter or even comment on my YouTube channel. I look forward to hearing back from you. Enjoy the show. Hello, I think I am live. I'm just testing out a live stream, seeing how it works and while I'm doing this. Um, there we go. While I'm doing this, I'm going to be responding to a video by Bill Weiss. Weiss? I've already forgotten his name. Um, just to test out live stream settings, check that it all works, check that we can manage the different screens. Um, and we'll see if anyone ends up watching, so this will be interesting. I'm going to watch about 20 minutes of Bill Weiss's um, testimony and why he thinks he uh, went to hell, why he thinks his view is biblical, and I will be discussing whether I agree or not, um, while making sure the settings are working. So I'm just going to check. Okay, so live stream is working. You might have heard an echo there. I'm not sure. We'll find out later on. So this is all seeming to work pretty well. Um, so let's get started. So as you might have seen on my channel, um, if I go to the right screen there, starting to get a few different videos up. But I've started a playlist called To Respond To. And on there are a whole load of videos that I'm going to try and work my way through. We'll see if we, uh, how we do really. I'm going to try this live stream as a way to respond. Uh, I've got a few notes for Bill and his talk and we'll, we'll see um, if this is a good way to do things. Hopefully it means less editing, but it does mean probably about an hour or so of my time. So let's let's see what he has to say. If you want to vote on or recommend I prioritise a certain video, feel free to get in touch, feel free to comment and let me know which videos you think would be worth a response. I am very well aware that Chris Date has started doing this on Rethinking Hell Ministries. Um, he will probably do a far better job at dealing with the technical uh, issues that come up around the discussion of hell Potentially, I will deal with more popular level issues, but we'll we'll see. Uh, I've been reading a little while now, and uh, I feel like I've got good answers to uh, many of the common arguments against conditional immortality. But I am still learning; I'm still working things through. Uh, if you saw the seminar recently that I did, um, I tried to remain as neutral to the other perspectives. Uh, as I could. So I do watch the other videos. Let's get started with, with Bill's video. I'll try not to waffle too much. Um, and 
I also try and see if anything comes up on the chat as well, but I'm not sure. 33 subscribers isn't many, uh, and I'm not sure if we'll have any conversation other than my own to the internet. So here we go. Um, Bill Weiss, he has written a book called 23 Minutes in Hell, and he... In that book, uh, I suppose I haven't actually read his book. I've just watched quite a few of his talks where he shares what what his experiences, and we'll, we'll listen to that in a minute. Um, and he he has quite a large number of followers on YouTube. He has a teaching channel with his wife, and um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what he says about hell. Um, he does use a lot of scripture, so it's going to test me in my transition skills. Um, between the different screens that I have open. Um, I'll just test that out that that's working. So the transition, as you can see along the top of the screen there, I've got quite a few Bible verses open where I'm just going to check what Bill is saying uh, against Scripture as much as possible. So, without further ado, let's have a listen to, to Bill. You know, Don got to see heaven. I had to see hell, so I realized... God must like Don better than me, so I don't know. But I'm very blessed to be back here at this awesome church. You guys are very blessed to be in this church. And I'm very honored to be in Pastor Jim's pulpit. I don't take this lightly. On November 23, 1998, I had an experience that changed my life. It doesn't matter if you believe my experience. What matters is that you check out what God has to say about hell and avoid it just the same. This was not a near-death experience. Okay, so the reason I'm pausing there, just to agree with Bill, there's, I'm doing exactly what he's asked me to do, to read the Bible, check out what he's saying, and I will do that um, in as uh, friendly a manner as possible. I do disagree with what Bill says, but I don't disagree with his experience. He clearly has experienced something, something that he uh, thinks to be real. Whether or not it's a biblical experience, um, that's what I want to check into. Um, there's nothing here that I'm going to talk about that, that questions Bill's integrity, his humility, um, but he has got a big stage and he has a lot of people listening to him and I want to see if what he says is actually um, biblical. So I uh, just want to agree with that. This, that's exactly the heart behind this um, and let me know what you think. Experience. This was an out-of-body experience that's classified as a vision in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 12, 1 and 2, Paul, when he was caught up into heaven in a vision, he said whether in the body or out of the body, he didn't know. Well, the Lord showed me that I left my body. So okay, so straight away he goes into um, the Bible, which is, which is a good sign, I suppose. He talks about 2 Corinthians 12, and he talks about Paul going out of his body uh, and not knowing whether he was in or out of his body uh, as a proof of the kind of vision that um, Bill has. And just to look at what he's done, he's he's looked at two verses uh, out of context a little bit there. And um, sure, Paul does says, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. But in the context of what he's talking about, he's saying, um, I don't really feel like talking about visions. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Um, he's basically talking about himself having a vision. Uh, he does go into the third person, which some commentaries... Um, talk about in a little bit more detail he's basically saying i don't want to boast in revelations or visions i'd rather 
uh, boast in Christ. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Um, he, he's talking a, to uh, the Corinthians who have put too much stock, too much credit um, to visions and dreams. And he's basically saying, look, I've had all these visions and dreams as well, but I'd rather just preach Christ. So I'm not quite sure is um, the strongest verse to start off with in terms of talking about visions and dreams um, as the basis of your talk. So in a vision, you can actually travel like Paul and John traveled to heaven. In Ezekiel chapter 8, he was picked up by his hair and he, carried, he was carried from Babylon to Jerusalem. So you can actually travel in a vision and the things experienced are just as real as they would be in your physical body. You can travel in your spirit body. 1 Corinthians 15, 44 talks about a natural body and a spirit body. Job 7.14 says, You scare me with dreams and terrify me through visions. So you can have a terrifying vision. Isaiah 21.2, he was given... Right, so 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about a spirit body and a uh, physical body. And uh, as you can see, he's going through verses left, right and centre. So if you're in the live audience and not able to pause him... To follow along is really, really tough, um, and you've got to know your body. But 1 Corinthians 15 is one of my favorite passages, and um, there is an em emphasis on the spirit body and the natural body, um, but it's talking about the resurrection. So it's talking about this natural body is buried, and we will be raised um, imperishable if if you're in Christ. And, and so it's not talking about a vision in 1 Corinthians 15 he's just lifted this idea of a spirit body and a natural body out of 1 Corinthians 15 um, which isn't what Paul the writer of 1 Corinthians was really talking about uh, it is raised a spiritual body uh, it's talking about the body will have after the resurrection so after you die um, you, you will await resurrection and uh, we we see in the orthodox view of the resurrection, you will face judgment and then judgment will come uh, either the presence of God in glory and um, the new creation or the presence of God will consume you and it will be to dust. At least that's the conditional immortality view. We'll look into that in a bit more detail uh, potentially as we go. But that is the view that I hold. It's the view that I'm in contention here with uh, Bill. Mr. Wise, uh, I'm trying to be as respectful uh, as I can. I'm not sure what you'd prefer if you end up watching this. So it, 1 Corinthians 15 isn't about visions and dreams. It's about the resurrection, which I think is far more important. Uh, and I would argue Paul would say uh, that is more important as well. So let's keep listening. Given a grievous vision in Job 4.14, Eliphaz was given a vision that causes bones to shake. So you can have a grievous, terrifying, bone-shaking vision. And this is not to compare my experience with any of the great men in the Bible. I'm just trying to give you a scriptural basis of how this can occur for a Christian. And, um, you know, you might say, but, Bill, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. Why do I need to hear about hell? Well, three quick reasons. Number one, when you understand how severe hell is, you'll be much more appreciative of your own salvation from what you were saved from. Number two, it causes us all to walk more in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 16.6 6 says, By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. What is the fear of the Lord? Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 17 said, The fear of the Lord is to read His word and to obey His word. It's to have enough respect and awe for God that we will obey Him. That's what the fear of the Lord is. Okay, so he talks about the fear of the Lord there. 
And it's interesting, he does define the fear of the Lord, read and obey God's word. Interesting, that definition has nothing to do with hell. So the fear of the Lord is understanding who God is by reading the Bible. Uh, And even in the Psalms, if I just quickly show you Psalm 34, Psalm 34 says, Come, children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. There's nothing about hell uh, in regards to making us fear God. There is an aspect of God whom we should fear. I would argue that's his presence. There's loads of verses that talk about uh, how um, Isaiah 33 talks about, I haven't got it up on the list of scriptures there, talks about who can stand in his everlasting burnings. It's referencing God's judgment. We can't stand in God's judgment without Christ uh, or with in the Old Testament it would be without God's intervention so uh, already he's confusing fear of the Lord to be a fear of hell and and sort of conflating the two when actually you won't see anywhere in scripture the use of hell to direct us to fear God and we will look at some other verses in in a bit too that will really emphasize how that uh, plays out the Lord is. Number three, it causes us all to have more of a passion for the lost, a desire to witness. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and 11, Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So when you understand how severe hell... What I find interesting about this, uh, Bill Dent tends to use the King James Version, and I've heard this before from different teachers around... um, trying to persuade the fear of the Lord comes out of an understanding of his judgment, which is in some ways true. But when it comes to 2 Corinthians 5.11, this is again, really notice how many times Bill referenced more more than one verse at a time. Um, uh, If you read any books in the way that Bill is referencing the Bible, you will understand that you completely lose the whole storyline, the whole plot, the whole context of that uh, sentence. For some reason, Bill reads the Bible like this, and I, 2 Corinthians is a letter. It would be like uh, reading a letter from a loved one, pulling out one sentence um, where they're, maybe they're quoting someone else. Maybe they say, and I said, I hate you, and all you get is I hate you, but it's it within the context. It's actually a love letter. You would miss that if you just picked out the sentence and got angry about it. So Bill's reading of Scripture here is... Fascinating to me because uh, I can't understand why you'd read any book in the way that Bill reads the Bible. More more than that, when he quotes 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11, he says, Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, which is what how the King James Version renders that, but fear of the Lord is a common phrase that we see throughout the Bible. So actually, the ESV and the NIV render the, the similar root word as fear of the Lord. It it makes sense. Since we fear who God is, fear God rightly, not his fear of hell, uh, we persuade others. There there is a right reverence for God and what he's done for us, what he has saved us from, I, I kind of agree. Um but it's it's interesting he's ripping things out of context. There's far more to two Corinthians five than just talking about uh the fear of the Lord and, and persuading others. Um let's let's let Bill, carry on. Hell is, you'll be more persuasive with men. And you'll want to take that effort to witness because that's God's heart is for people to be saved and go to heaven. And God wants us to have his heart and to share the gospel with people. 
Not to force it on anyone, but to share truth with people. We went to a prayer meeting Sunday night, like yeah. every Sunday night. Nothing unusual about the night. I have never studied the topic of hell. I've so I'm just going to, I want to replay that slightly, um, just in case we didn't get it. Um, people to be saved yeah, and go to heaven. Okay, we want people to be and saved. God wants Agreed. to have his heart and to share the gospel with people. Not to force it on anyone, but to share truth with people. We went to a prayer meeting Sunday night, like every Sunday night. Nothing unusual about the night. I have never studied the topic of hell. I've never... That, right there. I've never, I'd never studied the topic of hell. Now, this is quite an interesting admission. I, th I think that raises alarm bells a little bit. Um, unfortunately, preachers, pastors, due to a rush on the time, don't tend to study topics as in-depthly as... Uh, geeks <laughs> like me um, but unfortunately Bill's not studied a topic had an experience and then gone to the Bible to prove that experience is what he thinks it is now whether he realizes it or not Bill has grown up in a culture that has an understanding about hell um, influenced by various historical thought including Dante including movies whether or not he's seen them before he's probably had a conversation and an idea of what hell is. Um, and then he goes to the Bible to see if that view, what he's experienced is actually a, a Christian view. Um, I would argue that is the wrong way to view the Bible. You want to read the Bible. When you read it, you want to dig in to what the original audience understood to be said first, and then you apply it to your experience in your uh, to now and often we get that whole thing mixed up we read a if we read it like Bill does we read a verse go that applies to me now in this way and we completely lose the original meaning and I, I would argue there's far more depth uh, in the Bible if we start digging into the historical context of what's being said um, before we then apply it to uh, what we think hell might be and um, I would argue at this point in time, though Bill has had an experience, he's applying his experience to the Bible uh, first, which is the wrong way around um, of how to, how to really read Scripture well. I've never gone to dark movies, I've never drank, I've never taken drugs, and I've never had a vision before. And we came home, I went to bed, my wife and I went to bed, I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning to get a glass of water. And suddenly I was pulled out of my body, like being drawn up out of your body, and I found myself falling through the air down this long tunnel, and I landed in an actual prison cell in hell. Rough-hewn stone walls, bars, filthy, stinking, dirty prison, but like a dungeon. Isaiah 24, 22 says, And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit, and shall be shut up in the prison. Proverbs 7, 27 mentions going down to hell to the chambers of death. And where chambers means inner rooms. Job 17, 16 says, They shall go down to the bars of the pit. Many scriptures I could give you, but that, that's where I first found myself, in this prison cell. And the first thing I noticed was the intense heat. It was so far beyond the ability to sustain life. I wondered, how could I be alive in this place? Well, I wanted to get up, but I, I tried to move, and it took so much effort. But uh, there was no, no strength in my body. But see, Isaiah 14, 9 and 10 says, Hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. They will say, Art thou become weak as we? Okay, so this is really fascinating. Uh, he's used 
several verses. Now, if you want to hear about what Sheol is uh, and why that's different from hell, I have made a video on Sheol and a video on Gehenna. They are the terms that the King James Version and actually most English versions have rendered as hell. Uh, but the underlying Hebrew and Greek is far more interesting um, and helps unpick, untangle uh, two different ideas, uh, though connected through the afterlife. Um, but Sheol and Hades are very different from, from Gehenna and the Lake of Fire. Um, but he talks about Isaiah 14, and he uses this phrase uh, in verse 9. Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. Stirreth up the dead for thee. Now, again, he's ripped out one verse from an entire section. And if we go into slightly easier to use language. So the ESV pulls out Sheol. So Sheol is quite uh, different. It is the land of the dead. It's connected with burial. It's connected with um, very figurative, uh, poetic language. And uh, what I mean by that is... The Old Testament authors were kind of exploring what their ideas of, of death were. And it, in Scripture, we see them talking about Sheol as a place that you don't come back from. Uh, Jacob was talking about in Genesis 37. Uh, he talks about, I will go down to Sheol in sorrow when he hears the, about the death of Joseph. So no one would really argue that Jacob was unrighteous and deserving of hell. And yet he talks about going down to meet Joseph um, he, he wants to die, basically, when jo he hears that his favourite son has, has died. So the idea of uh, Sheol being hell at this point in time, which is exactly what Bill is suggesting uh, by saying he's gone to hell, um, is completely wrong using the, these verses. This is not the place of judgment. Also, just a note on that, if uh, Jacob is going to Joseph... Um, Joseph is dead, Jacob is alive, so Sheol is a current location, um, if we take this really literally. Now also about using the, this, there's no strength in his body. I, f I find it really interesting that he's taken it so literally that Sheol has been moved up to meet um, him, uh, wh whoever's being talked about in Isaiah 14, which I'll explain a bit more in a minute. And he uses this phrase to show that instead of you moving down, God or judgment has brought Sheol up because you can't move uh, or you're weak or you've lost all your m muscle power, I guess. Um, but interestingly, Isaiah 14 is about Babylon, Babylon being brought down to death. Um, it's not going to last. It's being it's being judged. And and so the shades, the shades of the, the dead, they don't sound like they have much of a body. Um, but they come to greet Babylon. You've been brought down as weak as we. You're no longer in your pomp. And if you keep reading on in verse 11, your pomp is brought down to Sheol, the sound of your harps. You've you've come from this glorious place of power uh, as, as a big um, empire. And now you've been brought down and maggots are laid as a bed beneath you and worms are your covers. It's such language of shame. And the Bible is really rich with language. I mean, for... Ancient Near Eastern people and Middle Easterns now, uh, Middle Eastern people now, to be left unburied, to be um, the idea of being of a corpse eaten by worms, is, is shameful. It's not a place that you'd want to be um, left as or known as. And so this idea of going down to Sheol to death is showing how shameful Babylon is. 
and um, it's a place of death. It's not really a place of weakness and muscle loss and and whatever else is happening here. There's far more in Isaiah 14 than just an idea of what is Sheol. So let's go back to Bill to let him continue. Psalms 88.4, I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that has no strength. So one of the things you endure in hell for all eternity is you're completely void of any physical strength. But see, Acts 17.28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. So even movement comes from God. It's not automatic. I looked up and I saw these two enormous creatures in the cell. Uh, they were demons pacing like a vicious caged animal. Reptilish in appearance, bumps and scales all over the one's body, huge jaw, sunken in eyes, claws about a foot long, and these particular two are about 12 or 13 feet tall. That's not an exaggeration. I could give you scripture for that, but we'll keep moving. Now, I really want to know what scripture gives uh, anyone. That sounds like something straight out of Dante's Inferno. If you've uh, not read it or even look at the summary notes just just have a little youtube at the different levels of hell there is nowhere in scripture that talks about demons pacing in hell and and what they look like that i know of feel free to put in the comments if i'm wrong but that is a a big statement that he's got scripture for that and i would love uh just to hear that I'll and they were blaspheming and cursing god they had an extreme hatred for god but we know blasphemy comes from the demonic realm. Revelation 13, 6, James 2, 7, and some others. Then they directed that hatred they had for God, they directed towards me. I wondered why, what have I done to them? But the one demon picked me up, threw me into the wall. Bones broke, I collapsed on the floor. I couldn't believe this was actually happening to me. Why am I not dead? And the other demon picked me up, dug its claws into my chest, just tore the flesh open. It just hung like ribbons. This is actually happening. I thought this couldn't be happening. And I, but I noticed I had a body. Matthew 10, 28 says, Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Remember Luke 16, the rich man. Okay, I've got to pause here. So he's used Matthew 10, 28. Now this is, there's a bit of a doozy here because this is very much a uh, verse regarding um, Gehenna now, not Sheol. So this is, a different uh, concept. Now, just as a summary of my video on Gehenna, Gehenna was prophesied um, about in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 19, uh, and I think Jeremiah 31 as well. It talks about the Valley of Ben Hinnom or Valley of Hinnom, which when transliterated through Greek, uh, it becomes Gehenna or Gehinnom. And Jeremiah prophesied that the valley would become a valley of slaughter and that there'll be so many dead that they would become food for birds. Isaiah talks about a similar slaughter where the corpses will be viewed by the righteous and they would be eaten by worms. Um, and it says the worms that never die or the worms that shall not die and the fire that cannot be quenched. And um, this is quite heavy language this is about shame about um being unburied as i've already mentioned so gehenna is a place of slaughter a place of death uh and um bill's just thrown out matthew ten twenty eight. so what's the context of matthew ten twenty eight? well uh jesus is placating the fear of his disciples they're saying they are worried that they will be killed uh and 
Jesus says, so have no fear uh, of those people, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. So humans who kill you cannot touch the most inner part of you, the soul. And that's a whole nother conversation that doesn't apply to conditional immortality or hell. There's different views there. But basically, if man kills you, you're only physically dead. Uh, but there's something about you that if you are, go against God, fear him who can destroy both bo- uh, soul and body in hell. Why is that him, God? Well, you're never told to fear the devil. You're never told to fear hell. You're never told to fear demons. You're told to fear the Lord. And that is where the beginning of wisdom comes, is when you fear the Lord, fear God. So fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, it sounds like destroy is being used by Bill here to be sort of torn apart and suddenly your body regenerates, I guess. If your flesh has come off, it's going to be put back on so that it can be torn off again, which sounds pretty horrific. And I have to say, I can't see anywhere uh, again in, in Scripture where that would be what God would want to do to people, uh, especially when we talk, uh, see Jesus' teaching. Um, it just doesn't... I don't hear anything about claws tearing people off in in scripture as a good thing. That's not something that God would necessarily do. But even so, scripture here says, destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, when destroy in verse 28 is connected with kill in verse 28, it logically suggests there's a similarity there. Now, oftentimes, uh, those who hold to a traditional view of hell will talk about destroy, meaning a ruin or a loss. What I've not heard... Uh, case for is what does a ruined human look like and why does ruin necessitate the person to be alive Um, there are verses that talk about forever and ever and eternal and those are to be talked about uh, in other videos but at the moment if we look directly at Matthew 10 28 a destruction of a human sounds like a corpse and we get biblical data for thinking that a corpse is a good point of perspective um we have jeremiah 7 jeremiah 19 isaiah 66 24 uh all the old testament background that points to gehenna being a place where it's corpses the dead um and it then takes a leap of logic to apply the language around that valley of slaughter and around uh, the bodies being eaten it takes a leap of logic to go from the worm that doesn't die and the fire that doesn't go out to then animate the corpses so they're no longer dead Um, and just to touch on the word dead because there's an argument around the definition of death unfortunately um, Genesis 3 is fairly clear that the uh, result of the sentence so the the curse that comes on Adam and Eve for eating the apple is death and we see that in chapter 2 of Genesis and then in chapter 3 we see uh, the, the outcome of the curse for you are dust and to dust you shall return there's no idea of dust being animated and so i will always when i say death i refer to death being uh the return to dust the return to inanimate inanimate object to the return to your just material uh and there's other language in scripture that would back that up you've got uh jesus talking about um chaff in the wind chaff is is an animate it won't experience uh anything more but it could be the ruin of a corpse uh, of a person 
a ruin of a person could also be uh, Malachi talks about ash. The ash is under the feet of the righteous, the ash of the wicked. Um, and so Bill makes a jump. He makes a jump from fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell to mean uh, in an, uh, an animated corpse with a renew, continually renewing body in a place called hell by a demon that's non-scriptural. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a leap. Uh, and I can't see what Bill is talking about from referencing Matthew twenty-eight, ten twenty-eight, to be what he thinks it means. And he lifted up his eyes. He wanted to drop water, cool his tongue. He had a tongue, he had eyes, he had a mouth to speak. You have a body, but it withstands these torments. I noticed there was no blood or water coming from the wounds, but Leviticus seventeen eleven says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Okay. Wow. Okay, so he's talking about Leviticus. Now... In Leviticus, we get the life is in the blood. Uh, that's a huge jump to talk about uh, hell. Hold on, I'm just going to let him talk a little bit more. I'll also jump back to Luke 16. And there's no life in hell, so there's no blood. And Zechariah 9.11 says, Thy prisoners out of the pit where there is no water. There's not one drop of water. Okay, so he talks about no life in hell. So we're starting to muddy the definitions of death. If there's no life, there's death. And our concept of death uh, has been skewed somewhat in Christendom for, for whatever reason. Um, if the, the biblical definition of death and the whole Old Testament sees death as something you don't return from. Uh, shades, it's kind of a figurative metaphor. There's lots of Psalms that talk about Sheol. It's not a very well developed idea up until uh, New Testament when Jesus joins uh, judgment with the Valley of Hinnom. Sheol is a place of the dead. It's current in existence, as I've already talked about. So if there's no life in hell, if we uh, and I, I do believe, although he's not made it very clear, I do believe what Bill is talking about is the hell of judgment, where you're facing the wrath of God. Um, that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Now, I do understand from other videos, Bill thinks that hell is both current now and uh, ongoing in future and so that's why he's blurred Sheol, Hades and Hell um, unfortunately he's completely missed the verses that show the righteous go to um, Sheol although maybe not he does talk about Luke 16 where he's talking about paradise and the great chasm and uh, torments that's generally a concept that's pulled out of Luke 16 he he's kind of pulled all these ideas and just sort of merged them and then brought into in Leviticus just to show that there's no there's no blood um but Leviticus is pointing to a sacrificial system that explains the cross that it's in Christ's blood that we are given life and so uh, life in the blood is pointing to the sacrificial system where the death of an animal would atone for sin and uh, there's, that's a really complex thought that needs unpacking. But Bill's just whistled past that and gone, actually, there's life in the blood. That must mean in hell where there's death, uh, there mustn't be any blood. It's, it's a leap at best. Um, and you can, hopefully you can really see that Bill is, is starting. I'm, I'm going to say it fairly strongly. I think Bill is misusing strong scripture here. I, I don't think Leviticus has anything to say about hell by saying that the life is in the blood uh, it just doesn't um luke 16 i will touch on that briefly 
Um, Luke 16, he does pull in very, very quickly to say you have a body. Now, part of the debate here, uh, if, you, if like Bill, you think Hades and uh, Gehenna are the same thing, then Luke 16 talks about hell, and, and I, I get why he's saying that. But there's some real issues, again, uh, with Luke 16 that require a whole other video, which I will hopefully do. I've got a script. Uh, I just need to film it and edit it. Um, but there's there's lots of theological issues if you read 16, Luke 16 uh, out of context, like he's pointed to, just to say, look, uh, the rich man wanted water. It doesn't satiate him, and therefore he's got this body that is ongoing in torment. Um, this will come up in more depth. I'm hoping to have a debate with uh, inspiring philosophy, not a debate, a chat. I don't want to debate. I want to chat through uh, why he used Luke 16 for his video on hell. Um, but I think it's really important to get the terminology right. Uh, Luke 16 is talking about Hades, and there's a lot of stuff in that that needs more unpacking than Bill or I have time for in this section. So let, let's skip that a bit. Luke 16, there's a, there's a lot to unpack. Read into it. Um, I'm going to let Bill War carry on. Hell. And these demons have no mercy over you whatsoever. But see, Psalms 103.17 says, The mercy of the Lord is upon those that fear him. Well, they don't fear him in hell, so you don't derive that benefit. About this time it went dark. Now, I believed it was God's presence there to illuminate it so I could see. But then he, was, he withdrew his light, and it was pitch black in hell. But Lamentations 3.6 says, He has set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. Jude 13 mentions blackness of darkness forever. But it wasn't just dark. You could literally feel the darkness. And that's not an exaggeration. Exodus 10.21 mentions a darkness that may be felt. Because the evil and wickedness in this place just penetrates through every cell in your body. Now, I was taken out of this prison cell, placed over next to this large raging pit of fire. This pit was about a mile across with flames raging high up into this open cavern. And it wasn't metaphorical or allegorical flames. It was real literal fire. Psalms 11.6 says, Upon the wicked he will rain fire and brimstone in a horrible tempest. Matthew 13.49, The angels shall sever the wicked from the just and cast the wicked into a furnace of fire. Many scriptures on fire. And mm -hmm. this is where I could first see people inside this pit. People were burning and screaming. And I know that this is awful to hear about, but, and most of us have never seen a person on fire, unless you're a fireman. But the flesh was hanging off their bones. People were screaming, and the screams were so loud. You want to get away from the screams, but you can't for all eternity. You have to endure that. But see, Isaiah 57, 21 says, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. There's no peace of mind of any kind in hell. I wanted to uh, let my wife know where I was at, but I understood I'll never get out. I'll never get the chance to say goodbye to her. And that thought when alone was extremely torment. That you could never say bit. goodbye to your loved ones, and they don't know that you still exist. See, death does not mean cease to exist. Death means separation from God. Okay. I've already talked about the definition of death. Separation from God isn't a definition that the Bible gives, though it's one that many Christians think is the one and only definition of God. Now, there are verses in Psalms that talk about being cut off, the wicked will be cut off from God. Uh, there are some aspects. So uh, 2 Thessalonians 1.9 is often rendered uh, shut out from uh, God. Um, but if we go back to Genesis 3, uh, the definition of death is return to dust. Ecclesiastes repeats that as well. So 
let's take let's take it as the definition uh, separation of god what happens when you're separated from the giver of life the the one that sustains all things that all things are held together by him um, we've got that whole thing in colossians 1 which talks about uh for by him through him all things are are held together if you're separated from the giver of life it's the end isn't it isn't that death there's no there's no life or experience beyond that um and so i'm going to let him speak a little bit longer i think there's something that you still I exist to get to. you're just down deep in the earth now i understood i was down deep in the earth i descended to get there i ascended when i left but more importantly there's 49 scriptures that talk about where the current hell or sheol is located i'll just give you two mm-hmm. ezekiel 26 20 number 16 32 and 33 very clear it's down deep in the Right, number 16 talks about um, the earth enveloping the rebellion of Korah. Um, Look it up. It doesn't... (laughs) Sure, they go down to Sheol alive, um, but it's it's not really proof that Sheol is deep in the ground, in the middle of the ground, which is what Bill is suggesting. Um, It just means they went to death. They went to a place they won't come back from unless God intervenes and there's a hope of resurrection. Um, the whole of the Old Testament is very much that Sheol is a place that you don't come back from. It's the end. Uh, and so what Bill hasn't talked about in number 16 is that there's a fire that consumes 250 people uh, from the presence of God. Um, what do they end up? Uh, it doesn't say anything in that same structure of... Um, hell at all uh, it just says they went to sheol alive um but the assumption is in sheol you're actually going to die uh, it's like being buried alive you're dead eventually um there's no concept of eternal suffering for those who were swallowed up uh, by the land as a rebellion uh, and an outcome of god's judgment the earth but i understood that i understood there were different levels of torment and degrees of punishment Remember, Jesus said, Matthew 23, 14, you shall receive the greater damnation, inferring there's a lesser damnation. Okay, so I'm going to skip a little bit about degrees of punishment. There's uh, there's a lot that can be said about that. It doesn't really affect the argument either way. Um, some people who hold to conditional immortality would say, yes, there are degrees of punishment. Some would say, no, there's not. Um, I'm on the fence regarding that. I don't think it... Either way, I think, like Bill suggests, there are some hints that there might be different levels of torment. Now, what I will suggest is that that discussion only makes sense when uh, torment is finite. If you have an ongoing torment for eternity, whether you're beaten for one day, uh, one, one hit per day or ten hits per day, if it goes on for eternity, it becomes infinite, both of them. And and so this is where the maths of eternal conscious torment becomes silly. Um, whereas if you are beaten 10 times and then you're uh, dead, or if you're beaten 100 times and then you're dead, well, that's different degrees of punishment. So there is a debate there. It's not for this conversation. I'm already uh, at 45 minutes, so I'm, I'm going to go for a little bit longer. There's some big things coming up, so I'll let him speak any level is horrendous beyond anything your mind can even conceive. I want to uh, talk to a person, just anybody. There's pleasure in conversation and being with people, but you're kept apart. You know, even though I saw all those people in the pit literally burning uh, through the 
through the flames, but you're kept at a distance, so you never have any conversation. You're isolated and alone for all eternity. That alone is enough to bear. And you have no purpose, no destiny. It's just a complete useless wasting away. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, There is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in Sheol. Just a waste. Ecclesiastes 6.4 says, Your name's covered in darkness. So it doesn't matter if you're somebody famous here. No Okay, okay. let's just quickly check that out. So Ecclesiastes 9, there's no work. Well, generally, if Sheol is a place where you're dead, we don't tend to think that uh, you'll be working when you're dead. There's, there's not much to it. Interestingly, though, I would highly recommend uh, that they disagree with me on this topic. Uh, the Bible, rec- uh, Bible Project has done a, a series on rest recently. And actually, there's an idea that there will be work in, in heaven. There'll be things to do, things to uh, work. And I'm not going to go into that too much, but work can be a good thing. Therefore, the opposite of the good work that we have when we rest in the new creation uh, in Sheol, there won't be any good work. There won't be anything. Uh, you'll be dead. Um, so, a disagreement there. Let's look at Ecclesiastes 6.4, which he references really quickly. Let's look at it in context. Um, so, for it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. What's it talking about? So, let's go back to uh, the start. Um, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. So this is vanity. It is a grievous evil. Basically, someone steals all his possessions and enjoys them. Um, and then, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, he and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. So actually, this highlights the shame that I was talking about of not being buried. A stillborn child, someone who's never experienced life, uh, is no better off than um, is is better off than a man who has lived his life to the full with many children, but hasn't been satisfied by that. And so this for it comes now. This it uh, is talking about the stillborn child, as far as I can tell. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness. There's there's he can't see the purpose of the stillborn child. It's a very sad situation. Uh, and in darkness, its name is covered. It's never been known to the to the family. Um, moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. The, the stillborn child finds rest rather than that the person that is unsatisfied in life. Well, what, I don't know what Bill's looking at, but it's not talking about hell here. It's not talking about Sheol at all. It's talking about the comparisons of how, how fulfilled we are in our life. Are we uh, living for wealth and stuff and not being satisfied or are we finding joy in god because ultimately that's what ecclesiastes is about ultimately stuff won't satisfy us but god will um that's the that's the conclusion of ecclesiastes so bill once again has ripped out a verse from an amazing book uh and claims it means something which it doesn't so uh, keep an eye on that if you're if you're listening to to Bill and his teaching, please do keep an eye on on how he uses the scripture. Let's let him carry we'll, on. We're going to go for there. another you sort of no ten identity. minutes. You understand? You're not getting out. Job seven nine says, "He that goes down to Sheol shall come up no more." You have that understanding. No one's going to come rescue you. Okay, so that that, that actually emphasizes <laughs> that the idea of. Sheol is that something you don't come back from. Now, there's hints of resurrection within the Old Testament. That's that's where the hope comes from, that death isn't the end. Death will be no more. But 
the majority of people throughout the Old Testament are saying that that's the exception. The exception is having life in God, finding life through uh, the fear of the Lord. But what Bill is using here is to highlight that the judgment is something that you're existing in. And it's, it really gets confusing if, if that's the view that you want to hold. And the stench in hell is so foul and putrid. The worst odors you can ever imagine, worse than any open sewer. Uh, anything you can imagine, take it times a thousand. And remember, Jesus rebuked the foul spirits, Mark 9, 25. Demons have a disgusting foul odor to them. Okay, sorry. I have to laugh. You have to laugh. I'm, I'm sorry. But using the phrase unclean spirits and saying that means the demons have a smell, a foul smell about them is, is crazy. I mean, Jesus rebuked the demons to go into a load of pigs. The pigs died. Do those demons smell like bacon? Oh, we, we've got to take the Bible more seriously than this. This is this is crazy talk that to define your vision as foul smelling because the Bible says unclean. Unclean has a whole history through the Old Testament about the law and about righteousness and about what sacrifice does. There's so much more depth to the Bible than, than this. So, Bill, please don't just rip stuff out of Scripture because you reckon it. It's a far greater message than foul-smelling spirits um i'm sorry that's just not what is being said here also the smell of burning flesh and the smell of burning sulfur and if you ever uh, go to hawaii to the volcanoes uh, the volcano there the they have signs posted where you cannot go past a certain point because the toxicity of the burning sulfur coming up it will kill you if you breathe it it's called sulfur dioxide well sulfur is just another word for brimstone and the word brimstone is all through the Bible. So you're breathing in this foul, putrid, disgusting air that you don't want to breathe. But it's even worse than that because there's not enough air to breathe. You have to fight for even the tiniest bit of oxygen. And this is how you breathe in hell. It's like... That was as much air as you could get. Well, that's not enough to live. You feel like any moment you're going to die of suffocation. But see, Isaiah 42.5 says, The Lord gives breath to the people upon the earth. You're not upon the earth, you're down deep beneath the earth. God's very specific with his word. You need to sleep in hell. Okay, hold on, let's let's look that up. So Isaiah 42, he gives breath to those else is God, uh, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Uh, spirit is often translated breath, uh, gives breath... Um, See, the nefesh or ruach, if you go into the Hebrew there, I'm not sure which one it is. I haven't done a word study on it. Um, yeah, I, I don't... He's very literally taking Sheol to be under the earth, God giving breath to those above it. Uh, well, if you don't have breath, there's not much life you can have. What are you breathing, even in those short gasps, trying to get air? Um it doesn't make sense, Bill. I'm not understanding it, and I'm, I'm sorry. Um, we'll let him continue. I was only there 23 minutes, but I felt like I, I was there 23 weeks without sleeping. You know, if you stay up for two nights without sleeping, you're pretty much a wreck, right? You can't function. Well, in hell, you need to sleep also, but you never get to sleep, so it gets progressively worse. But see, Revelation 14, 11 says, And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. Now, that primarily means no rest in the torment, but no rest of any kind. Okay, so we might have to end on this point, because as you can see uh, from past 
Bill has a tendency to take scripture out of context, but he's not the only one that takes Revelation 14, 11 out of context completely and says this is about hell. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about Revelation 14 and I'm going to uh, summarize a little bit. He goes on and on and I might have to do another video. Maybe I'll respond to Bill uh, in another video. But so Revelation 14, 11, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. These worshippers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. First off, it's not overly clear if we just look at verse 14, 11, who is being tormented? Uh, we have worshippers of the beast, who's the beast, the worshippers of its image and the mark of its name. Well, if we go into it above, uh, back into verse 9, which Bill doesn't do, but I think it's important if we're going to try and explain this. Anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength, will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of those holy angels. Now, if death is separation from God and hell is separation from God, which Bill has suggested throughout, what are we doing here in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb? If you're not used to Christian terminology and you've clued in here, well, this could be a weird conversation for you. But the presence of the Lamb is God. Jesus is the Lamb that was slain, and the image of the Lamb throughout Revelation is, is Jesus. So we're talking about torment within the presence of God, and if that's an odd idea to you, um, it's probably because you've only heard people reference 14.11 and not 14.10. The context is so key. Uh, the Bible wasn't written with these reference marks, and so people pulling out references like this, uh, and I, I will do it, but I will try and use the context as best as I can to show it means what we think it means. But So it's not clear who's being tormented. It's also not clear. We have to be really, really careful with the original languages here. Uh, no rest. Now, the concept of rest, as I said, the Bible Project has done a, a multi-part series exploring the, the concept of rest. Um, to have no rest. If you read Hebrews 4, it talks about, they shall not enter my rest. That's God talking about the wicked. Those who do not come through Christ's sacrifice will not enter the rest of God. So rest is far more than just a, you can't sleep, as Bill has put it. Rest is an idea of completion and uh, Sabbath. And uh, and so, that's my dog scratching. If you've, if you've got that on the, the audio, I'm not sure. My, my dog is down there uh, scratching the carpet, which probably makes a funny noise. So, the idea of um, rest is far more uh, in-depth. And, and so, if we look at Isaiah 34, which I might not actually have... Uh, on my screen at the moment. I've got Isaiah 42. If we go back to Isaiah 34 quickly and just we'll have a look at a phrase. Um, and so this is talking about the destruction of Edom. And within there, it says, The streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, her soil into sulfur. Night and day it shall not be quenched, the fire that's burning Edom. Uh, its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever. And ever, and so Edom. Uh, if you, if you Google it, it's actually recently been found. There's um, stories about Edom in recent news. I think it was last month. But the idea is that the the smoke shall go up forever is an idea of total destruction. 
Um, and we can see that over and over again. If we go into Revelation 19, Babylon has been destroyed in Revelation 18. That's the promise, the hope that uh, the evil institution, Babylon, the evil city, the evil empire goes up in smoke. It will be no more. That language is all throughout Revelation 18. We get to Revelation 19.3. The, the angels are singing out, hallelujah. That means praise, praise God. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. This idea of uh, smoke going up forever and ever isn't new to verse 14. Uh, it's not new to Revelation. It's an image from the Old Testament. Um, and it is always, as far as we can tell, uh, if you use the Bible to interpret itself, um, a sign that uh, going up forever and ever is a sign of complete and utter destruction. Now, whether the torment is, that's a debate for another day. But I would argue that throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, we see a concept of eternal destruction being just what it says on the tin, uh, eternal ruin, eternal corpse, an eternal lost human who is not alive. Uh, the opposite of eternal life is death. Uh, you will not experience anything beyond your judgment. You will, ju you will come into God's presence. He will judge rightly. He will judge justly. He will judge mercifully, whatever that looks like. But the Bible says the outcome for those who reject him will be destruction, will be ash, will be slaughter, will be shame. And uh, the righteous will look on in contempt because they will see a God who just, uh, judges justly. So that might sound fairly epic, but ultimately Bill is misusing scripture here. Uh, he misuses scripture all over the place, uh, taking single quotes left, right and centre. And it's really hard to keep up with him if you've got your Bible open at the same time. So I'm just going to leave this live stream here. Um, we're almost at an hour. But I just want to emphasise that actually the gospel is far bigger than your fear of hell. Uh, fearing God is the beginning of wisdom is what the, the Psalms say and the Proverbs say. So fear God because it is God who is good. It's God who is love. It's God who is perfect. It is God who is complete. And it's his presence that will either uh, destroy or bring glory. And it's only that the Bible asks the question, who can stand in these everlasting burnings? It is only through God's intervention that we can stand in his presence because our sin, our imperfection will just be consumed by our holy God when we step into his presence but thank Jesus <laughs> believe in Jesus and he will rescue us from death and we have this greater hope as Christians and this is what I always want to point to is that in the new creation Revelation 21 4 says there will be no more pain no more death no more uh, mourning no more grief and God will dwell with his people in the new creation which is this new earth where heaven comes down and is part of this new you can be part of this new creation where it's made it's back to the garden of eden is is as it should be now just to emphasize this point a little bit in regards to bill bill has some specific problems he says that there's no life in hell that basically means it's death and if death is a continuation of existence uh, then he's got a problem when isaiah 25 6 to 9 if you want to visit that passage it's a passage where death will be no more isaiah repeats that theme throughout and you can see it in isaiah uh, 65 as well uh, that theme throughout that in the end there'll be no more death there'll be no more pain there'll be no more mourning death is a w event <laughs> the eternal punishment is death you will 
die, you will return to dust, and you will be no more. Uh, and the new creation will be as it was meant to be, with no sin, no death, no mourning, no pain. So the only way out of being consumed by a God who is a consuming fire is through Christ. And Christ has taken our death, taken the, the wage of our sin, which is death. And you can see that in Romans 6.23. John 3.16 talks about those who believe in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. That is the gospel. The only way to avoid the great enemy of death is through Christ, through Jesus. Christ meaning Messiah, meaning saviour. Uh, and so Jesus hasn't saved you from an eternal torment where he will continue to make you exist. He has saved you from death, if you will accept it. And if you don't accept it, if you don't look to the cross to be saved, well then, all you can expect to face is death. Uh, but seek life. Come to life. And you can do that through Jesus. And if you want any more about that, feel free to email me, thehelpproject19 at gmail.com. Go on to thehelpproject.online uh, and uh, feel free to comment on these videos. I think the live project worked. I don't think there's been too much of a delay. Um, hopefully you'll find it useful. If you started watching um, another time when it's not live, let me know what you think and we'll see how the rest of this goes. Uh, so thanks for watching The Hell Project. This is where I defend the view that without Jesus, we are dead. Take care. Thank you for listening and I want to know what you think do you get in touch as i said at the beginning of this podcast you can do that through uh, twitter or my youtube channel but i also have the scripts and free resources and other studies that i'm continuing to engage with at uh, thehellproject.online thank you so much for listening if you'd like to support the channel and uh, the show in any way please do go into the description of this episode and you can find a PayPal link. Otherwise, I do this all for free, and I hope you found it helpful. God bless you. See you later.